0: Welcome back to Trojan Talk. I'm Ryan Young, as always, and I'm joined by my familiar partner on this podcast, Max Brown, the former USC quarterback, our Trojansports.com analyst. Max, as we say in Hollywood, this is take two.
1: <laughs> this is take two indeed.
0: Max and I recorded the podcast on Thursday, kind of talking about the landscape of college football and what we were hearing, and a lot about the the player demands that had come out with the Pac-12 unity group, with the Big Ten unity group. And it was a great podcast, really fun discussion, and was going to be posted on Sunday. And then over the weekend, as has just been the case of late, everything changed, and the reports started coming out from ESPN and Yahoo and all the national outlets that the Big Ten leadership was really pushing towards – Canceling the fall season or postponing to the spring, uh, what have you, and that that could be a lead to a ripple effect of other conferences. The Pac 12 would likely follow, they'd see what happens with the rest of the leagues. And so, we kind of had to just shelve the conversation we had and redo it. And so, you know, like all the great bands that have those lost recordings, uh, that <laughs> podcast would be the one that you never hear. That was really good. And uh, I will actually resurface a couple of the segments that we talked about, about USC QB commit Jake Garcia going to Valdosta, Georgia, and some other stuff that is uh, still relevant. So you will hear some of that, but we're going to start over. And Max, so everyone knows, it's 3.05 on Monday, and we have to be cognizant that things could change greatly again before anyone hears this. I'm going to post this within two hours of this recording, but it's an ever-changing landscape. Let's just start with your overall reaction to what has unfolded really in the last 24 to 30 hours.
1: Yeah, my first reaction is I'm, I'm bummed. Like you said, our uh, our first podcast was legit. So yeah, hopefully we can put out some of those takes, but I uh, know that was fun and and to your point, I think a lot's changed in the thir- past 30 hours, but even in the, just the past week, it, it's changed. Changed a lot for sure, My my first reaction is not really that surprised to be honest it it felt like I've been kind of saying this on on many fronts but just at some point it's all going to come to a head and we're sitting here and it's mid-August it's August 10th so I guess early to mid-August and we're talking about college football being played in a month for in Big Ten country and in Pac-12 country just a few weeks after that and so it was kind of like all right this is going to come at at some point I think it i'm, I'm bummed because i was optimistic that it was going to happen but my first reaction is just like yeah i mean it, it kind of does make sense all the factors that we've talked about time and time again uh, of why caution ball can't happen and kind of the double standard with a lot of that the the health concerns the the fact that i went out to dinner last night in los angeles and i'm not allowed to sit in inside and eat a meal yet we're going to ask athletes to go play contact football and in right. a physical sport like all those things that we've all talked about time and time again that uh, that, that made me pessimistic that the the, the season was going to happen uh, it feels like it's kind of coming to a point now it does not surprise me that the pac-12 is kind of leading the charge and as I say that I guess the Big Ten's leading the charge but it feels like the Pac-12 is kind of right there uh, in terms of of making this move and I think it's just one of those things it's shown that college football does not have have unified leadership that is we've known that but it's definitely coming out uh, right now and that all the conferences don't want to be the first conference to pull the plug because of PR and all that, but they also don't want to be the last conference because of the PR that could switch in that regard. So, um, yeah, not surprised is kind of where I'm at, but definitely bummed in that this is, this is our life. This is what we love. We're fans. This is our business. So it's definitely disappointing.
0: Yeah, we, we talked Thursday. We were both pessimistic about the season I've been pessimistic for a while so not surprised in that regard I thought eventually it was going to come to a head in this way and again as we're taping this nothing's officially come out yet uh, even the reports today or you know you have Ohio State coach Ryan Day mission coach Jim Harbaugh and Penn State's James Franklin Nebraska's Scott Frost all aggressively pushing to hey let's not let's not jump to conclusions let's try and make this happen still so nothing's official yet, but man, it's been a sea change of sentiment in the last day that it's looking more and more like the Big Ten is just not going to go through with this, and that the Pac twelve is most likely to follow them. I guess the yeah. surprise the surprise factor is how quickly everything changed. Not that we're here, but that how quickly it changed from the Big Ten. I think putting out their schedule. What was it last week? Or is, I mean, yeah, like Wednesday the, of last after week after the Pac-12 schedule came out, and and they were going to try and start earlier than anybody. They were going to start in early September, and now they're the ones saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, this can't happen." So, yeah, how, how did we get here? Is the biggest question people have, and I have a couple theories. Obviously, we'll start with the very real medical factors. There was a, a story over the weekend where the mother of an Indiana offensive lineman, Brady Feeney got very graphic in describing his battle with, the, with COVID and the virus and how it's led to uh, some heart issues for him that are very troubling long-term. Heather Denich, a national college football reporter, then came out today and said this is a major impetus for all this that uh, not only Brady Feeney, but there's at least five other cases in the Big Ten of heart issues emanating from this virus and, and other conferences – and it's it's just the ever-evolving understanding of the long-term effects uh, of, of what this can mean. So that's a driving force. But I have to think that the unity groups, the player demands of the last week, week and a half, have had an impact on the way conference leadership looks at this. Because essentially, I'll just summarize my point really quickly, is that I respect players standing up for... For their rights, and, and if, certainly if they feel that they are in an untenable or unsafe situation, then they should, by all means, push for whatever's going to make them feel that this is a safe and, and viable endeavor. Yet, what came out with the Pac-12 Unity Group, and then the Big Ten followed suit, was a very disorganized and broad-stroking uh, list of demands that that didn't have a clear desired outcome. It was pushed forth under the guise of health matters, but there was no clear request saying, this is what we need. We need this. On top of everything else the conferences are already doing and universities are doing with the testing and and the protocols, we need this. That wasn't there. And then they, they wrapped in revenue sharing demands and we want the commissioner to take a pay cut and this and that. And it was just a lot of these big asks that were just not going to happen on the fly. You're not going to enact player revenue sharing within two weeks before the season. And I think that what it did was spook conference leadership. Because whatever the intention or true motivation of those demand letters was, the tone, the way it came off was, you are asking us to risk our health for your enterprise with no compensation that was the overarching tone and message and you have these conference and university leaders that are already surely sensitive and worried to liability issues and what if a player tests positive are we going to get sued now you have this player movement projecting that sentiment i think it's caused everyone to have to step back and reevaluate and i think the irony It's a separate topic that we'll get into in a little bit, is that a lot of players who were connected to that movement are now connected to the we-want-to-play movement. And I I don't think they ever wanted the season to be put in jeopardy. I I just think that there was not a clear organization or plan with all that stuff that happened last week. And I think this is at least part of the outcome is related to that. Thoughts?
1: Thoughts? I think that last point you said about guys being part of both movements, we talked about that in our first taping of the podcast, and that's why I thought and we both agreed that the movement wasn't going to get anywhere because you had people pulling in two different directions. And to to, to, to get ch- to bring change about everyone has to be pointed in the same direction, and that wasn't the case with the movement last week. I guess it's still going on. But the, you had some people that were moving and, and trying to Trying to create change because of health related reasons and legitimate COVID 19. Uh, yeah, health reasons and others was, was financial. They were using this opportunity to try to better themselves and the next student athlete better financially. And there was two different ways. And, and I think that, that's what, what we're seeing now is the people that were part of the, hey, I wanna use this opportunity to get money are now also part of the, hey, I wanna play, I always wanted to play. And we, when we talked about that in our first take, but I think back to, to, to your original point to start, th- that whole time you were talking, the word that it comes down to me, to, comes down to for me, excuse me, is liability. And that, that's always how, how it's been. And I think if you're a president of a school or you're Larry Scott of the commissioner, that's, that was your job. Is how do you mitigate liability? How can we swallow this? And I feel like the past couple months, you could get around that because, hey, it is... 19 to 21 year olds they're not they're not affected like people above the age of 65 and you could wrap your head around the possibility of maybe getting by that it's still don't get me wrong Was a big double standard that you're not allowing kids to come back on campus yet you're still trying to play football but you You could at least see the door was at least cracked well maybe you can have some the, the players there's not going to be those long term long term effects but then that all changed in the past week with the study that with the uh, Indiana player you mentioned I know I mean, Cam Smith, former USC linebacker, he's in the news about some heart-related heart stuff. Different, but at least in a, in, a, in a similar similar conversation, at least. But yeah, these long-term impacts that, hey, it might not directly impact 19 to 21-year-olds in the near future. Yeah, but it could later in life. That, to me, if you're president of university or you're, you're a school or whatever, that's where it gets to, hey, guys, what are we doing? I mean, we're not even allowing our students to come back to campus. There's, there's studies that comes out, that are coming out that we're not even sure what the long-term effects are. That, to me, I'm sure there's conversations behind the scenes of, like, guys, what are we doing here? We're, we're, there's, there's just no way, and it's for all the reasons we've talked about. The double standards, the, the fact that it just you're playing tackle football in an environment where everyone else is on quarantine. It, just, it doesn't make sense as much as you want it to make sense. That's what it gets down to for me is just the liability aspect, and it feels like the past week it's gone so far in the – not so far, but a step in the in the direction of this is just too big of a bear to take on, and I think that's what we're seeing with the Pac-12 and Big Ten uh, trying to stop play this year.
0: Yeah, I, I, th- I think it's a very complex matter that factors in everything we've talked about. Obviously, the health stuff being at the forefront, and I think that everything that's been developed – through this process of trying to recalibrate a schedule and go conference only and this is when we're starting all of that has always been contingent on we need some positive trends here there have been some positive trends or schools like USC that haven't had a player on campus test positive in three weeks they had one positive test and that was from somebody arriving to campus Michigan Jim Harbaugh put out an impassioned case for why they sh- they should play this year and he said our guys are safe on campus we've had zero positives out of 350 some tests in the last whatever so th- there are positive trends but we're also still learning about this thing and the heart matters and stuff coming out is is really i'm sure a major major red flag to a lot of people let me roll in a relevant quote the mac the mac conference which is you know i guess maybe the premier group of 5 conference has already postponed its fall season and there was a quote today from MAC commissioner John Steinbrecker who said our medical advisory board was unequivocal they said John we don't see a way you can play this fall and so that that was their explanation and yet this goes back to a point you made at the top of the show about there being no college football commissioner so You have the Mac saying, we had zero choice in this matter. We were told it's simply not viable. Yet you have the SEC saying, Greg Sankey today said, can we play? I don't know. We haven't stopped trying yet. Just totally different approaches and totally different perspectives. Matt Hayes, national college football reporter, came out and said, I talked to a Pac-12 AD, and he says it's looking more and more like it's Big Ten and Pac-12 versus the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 and and how can there be this disparity in the uh, supposedly we're all working out the same data the same research the same medical advice and yet there's this vast range i I don't know if it's any coincidence that the pac-12 and big 10 were the ones that had had the player uh demand groups rise up and those are the two that are now seemingly rapidly moving towards a swift decision not to play this fall
1: yeah and that's where the reason why is it all comes down to money right i think that's where you can talk about the betterment of the student athlete and all that but at the the end of the day this is where the dollar bills are talking the loudest and the fact that the mac is already canceled and the other conferences are still alive in the well alive and well it comes down to money and i think that kind of gets back to my original point of all the the conferences or the presidents of the schools coming together and kind of being like guys, what are we doing here? And I think that's kind of what it's got to is, yeah, the MAC is canceled. Yeah, we all do have the same data. Yeah, we are preaching betterment of student athlete, looking out for their well-being. But guys, what are we doing? Because that's just not what we're doing. If if, if we're looking out for the sole betterment of the student-athlete, the health concerns would speak loudest. As of now, they haven't spoke the loudest because money's on the line. A lot of financial well-being for guys like me and you, for guys like Mike Bone of the school, like the USC in general, all the media outlets, all the economic flow that as as a result of college football being on, there's tons and tons of people trying to be impacted. But at the end of the day, it's college football. And If you're going to say the betterment of student-athlete, then you need to back that. And I think that's where the presidents are heading. And that's why I think it's very interesting looking forward into the years to come when you talk about paying student-athletes and maybe not having them be full amateurs. Right now, they are amateurs. And as a result they should be treated like that but could this be different if there was some sort of union if there was a commissioner for all the conferences if there if if athletes were getting paid those questions are, are why I think the NFL is a different ball game when you look at the coming months because they do have some of those factors college football does not and therefore to me it, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to play i think um, I'm, I, I want them to play I wish they were playing but when you just look at facts and what is going on in the bigger picture of our world it just doesn't make sense why there could be college football and I think that's kind of kind of where we're at right now if things kind of come into a head
0: yeah, I, I have three main questions I want to get to you. Uh, get that with you, but just one more commentary on this point. I think that this has made it abundantly clear that college football does need a central oversight. The NCAA is, is not really that force with college football because the Power Five is called the Autonomous Five for a reason. They have a lot of latitude, and they're not. It's not where the NCAA has strict guidance and and uh, edicts over it. And what you see here is is offshoot of that where these power five conference commissioners have been talking constantly through this process. And yet we, we have no unification. We have no uh, organized plan. No one wants to be first. Right. Well, the big 10 does apparently, because the big 10 was the first ones to go. We're playing conference only. And according to the reports that came out, it left everyone else on their heels. Like, well, whoa, what? And everyone else had to react. Now they're, they're saying, supposedly, according to the reports, the likelihood that we can't play this fall and everyone else has to react against that. And that tells me that they've probably been pushing for these things in these calls and not getting the support and having no consensus and just saying, okay, we're going our own way then. But even beyond that, even within the conference, you have Nebraska coming out today and saying you have, you have the Big Ten still hopeful to play a spring season. If they do cancel the fall season, they would hope to play in the spring. Meanwhile you have Big Ten number Nebraska saying we're gonna try and play this fall. We'll play in a different conference if we have to. We'll play we'll play teams from other leagues. We'll figure it out. It's just a total mess and I think it just is brought to light that we need a a college football commissioner. And okay now And that one one point right
1: there for ten seconds. That's what's super interesting. It's about the domino first domino to fall is I think the SEC is waiting back and I've seen reports that they're going to potentially swoop up all the teams that are willing to play and maybe their conferences are not willing to play and create their own sort of Mm. conference or season and don't want to get sidetracked but that is a super interesting uh tangent to follow
0: there's nothing but tangents to follow yeah (laughs) you you can go down uh, a dozen rabbit holes if you want but no that's a great point so my, my three things I really want to get your take on, and uh, the first one at least is going to overlap with some of our discussion from last week, but, but there's some fresh framing of it. I had asked you on Thursday about how you think the locker room dynamics would play out with guys who were joining the Pac-12 unity group and guys who were making it clear that opting out was not even on the table for them, that, that they didn't want to be a part of it. And I mentioned that USC had a team meeting last week, and I know for, for a fact that at least one prominent player didn't even go to it because that wasn't a consideration for him and how those dynamics play. Now, I'm going to update that and say that today Marquis Stepp, USC running back Marquis Stepp, who was one of the guys who was not publicly on board with, with the Unity Group movement last week, comes out and says – Y'all switched up after the NCAA put their foot down. Now everybody wants to play all of a sudden, kind of mocking the players that were a week ago threatening to opt out if the demands weren't met, and now they're the ones saying, hashtag, we want to play. So let me take you back into the locker room. If you are in the USC locker room as a player right now, what is going on? Is there inner conflict among these competing ideals? Are, are, Are guys now mad at the guys who were threatening the opt-out last week. How is this manifesting?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's a whole lot different, to be honest. And it kind of goes, when we taped on on last Thursday, I I was saying I think the masses are the guys that were willing to play football from the start. And yes, they would want to get paid more, and yes, they would want to be a part of a proactive cause, but at the end of the day, if you're a 19-year-old football player and you only get one shot at this football thing, one shot at this college football deal, I don't think, I think most guys are tunnel vision and want to play football. That's their life. Uh, that's the, that they operate, they're, they're living through a lens of football first. So I don't think, I think most guys that that kind of trumps everything else for better or for worse. And so I think now with, with this movement coming out, uh, I don't think a lot of the loud voices that were pushing back on playing football last week. I don't think those were those guys were the masses, and so I think it's kind of business as usual in the locker room. I'm sure some of those guys might be getting jokes at here and there, but I just don't think the masses were part of the hey, I'm going to leverage this one shot I have at college football to try to to try to make change. And like I said last week, I. I commend those guys for trying to make a difference for the future of college football, for the next guy coming behind them. But I just know how football guys operate, how 19, 21-year-old guys operate, and they are tunnel vision on football. So I don't think it's a whole lot different. I do think, in terms of the inner dynamics of the locker room, I could see the overall temperature in the locker room being like, oh crap, we might not have a football season, and it becoming actually tangible to a lot of these guys that hey I'm about to lose a year of eligibility and what does this mean for me I was supposed to start this year I was supposed to have this season I think those are the type of things that are becoming front of mind for all these guys that were like oh I'll worry about that when it comes or they maybe they weren't even worried about it and now it's finally hitting home that oh crap I'm gonna have a season I can't even imagine 2016 when I was playing at SC and that was like my, supposed to be my season and that was the year I spent all this time and all this work kind of leading up for, for that to get canceled, I can't even fathom that. That would be, that would be absolutely detrimental to, I know, a, a, a 21-year-old Max Brown back in 2016. And I'm sure there's guys like that that it's, it's, they're having some, some tough emotions. But I don't think it's going to be in spite of one another. I think it's just an overall uneasiness within the locker room.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's well said. And I want to reiterate, it's, it's a fine line of thread here where, you know, I, I try and stay out of the player empowerment stuff, and it's I'm, I don't have that perspective, so it's not really my place to be super critical of it. And I think you have to obviously point to the name, image, likeness stuff that's coming down the pike and say, you know, that's a result of guys being vocal and, and pushing for their rights, and that's going to benefit the waves of players that come after them. So I'm not criticizing anyone's motivation to to stand up for something they feel is unjust or wrong. I just think that the way that was all rolled out last week was highly disorganized and ill-fated, and ultimately undermined itself in the process. So I want to clarify that point. My second question to you, Max, is this is maybe shine the spotlight even brighter on whether amateurism is still viable in college athletics. And if these guys were able to have a union or a uh, players association and have more rights and have more stake in the game and, and make a decision for themselves that a professional would make, uh, maybe that eliminates some of the liability concerns or issues here. What do you think this whole ordeal does for the future of college football and the amateurism?
1: Oh, baby. It does something for sure. Exactly what? I'm not exactly sure. But I think there's just too many uneasy irons in the fire right now for change not to happen. I mean, our whole world's going to be different when we get out of here. But I, 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 yeah. think, I think college football will, will definitely be that. And, and to your point, I think some sort of central body within college football, whether it's the Power Five conferences coming together, whether that's more of like if there's a separate league or whatever that is, I think there will be some uniformity um, out of this because this has kind of been a long time coming. I think COVID-19 and the, and the quarantine, the pandemic, is it kind of now shining the light on a lot of these issues. But a lot, I mean, this is uh, we've been feeling the impacts of Power five, non-power five, Pac-12 conference versus SEC, different scheduling dealios and all that. Like we've been feeling the ramifications of that is just now coming to a head with this pandemic. I think the interesting point to me is if you did have a player's union and you did have some sort of body that was, governing body that was protecting these athletes, it'd be very interesting if you had a scenario where guys could opt in to play. And that was a formal process like the NFL, right? Those guys were given a decision a few weeks back to go to training camp or take a a payment sum off to the side and not play this year. If you did that with college football, I think there would be the masses. I think it would be 95% of guys would choose to play football under these given circumstances for all the reasons I, I agree for all the reasons I said in my last question you you ask 21 year old Max Brown who's an educated dude aware of what's going on would I want to play football will I take the risk of potential heart health de- heart health deal and I'm sensitive to that nets out with people differently but at, to me how I was wired as a college kid I would take that risk for my USC football life and and and, and that pursuit. I would take on the risk and I think most guys would. And so that part's interesting because you're saying, well, wait a sec. If most guys would and we're gearing up to not have a college football season, that doesn't align either. And so that's kind of my point is I think moving out of this, we will have some sort of governing body for the student athletes, for the commissioners and hopefully both. But I think that's kind of the first First stage because it's becoming ineffective for everyone. It's becoming ineffective for the, the Pac 12 and also the SEC. And I think for a while the SEC was kind of like, oh, those those a lot of those issues they they don't apply to us because we'll always be the big kid on the block. We'll always kind of get what I what, what we want and we'll see if it happens. But if I had to bet, I'd say I think everyone's gonna get impacted in in these events and everyone will come together and we'll see. It'll it might help. It might help a school like USC, and it might hurt a school like Fresno State, but at the end of the day, I think those type of changes are going to be on the horizon for us.
0: Yeah, I still obviously think the NCAA is going to fight tooth and nail against revenue sharing as long as, as possible, and it's going to really uh, capitulate on name-image likeness and try and use that as a compromise to avoid going any further in that direction, but I do think... The most reasonable demand uh, that came out last week, and that's been reiterated this week and I think makes sense, is that there should be some representative group for the players. And whether, I don't, you know, union is a strong word. I don't know how all that works, if that's viable, if that's feasible. I don't know. But, But there should be some group where the players have a collective voice and it's not hastily organized in the... in in twitter graphics and that's there's regular meetings with college football or all sports leadership where, where they have a say in the process so i think that's very fair i think that's going to be the first domino you see come out of this is that that something like that is created last question and again we are having this whole discussion uh with the understanding that none of us know what's going to happen we know what the reports are but as of Now 3.33 on Monday afternoon. The Big Ten has not canceled its season yet. Pac-12 has not canceled its season yet. Everyone's expecting some announcement Tuesday. That's just where this is at. So we're going to speak in hypotheticals. If we find out that, indeed, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and whoever else is not having a fall season, how do you think the players react um, if there's still the hope for a spring season? Do you think that... NFL draft prospects like Elijah Barrett-Tucker or Amon Ross St. Brown hold out to play that that thing? Do you think that guys will look to transfer? I don't think there's going to be a lot of opportunity to transfer. I would assume that, let's say the SEC and Big 12 and ACC play. Most of those programs are probably at or near their scholarship limit. Maybe there's room for a grad transfer or two. Uh, would the NCAA grant blanket waivers in this case? We don't know those questions, but just, again, Go into the mind of a player in the locker room, which uh, you are uniquely positioned to do, and tell us how you think that, what the fallout is if there is no Pac-12 season.
1: Yeah, mind of a player. If the the season's canceled, the first question that I'm asking is, do I get that season of eligibility back? And I'm thinking the answer is going to be no, because if I was Larry Scott, I think there's no easy way to do this. And so I think you're gonna just have to bite the bullet and the 2020 season is just is is wiped is wiped away and it's just kind of it's going to impact someone and I think it's 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 very sad for the upperclassmen that we're counting on this year but it's going to be sad for someone and I think that's just kind of the the reality of of what it is but that would be the first thing I would do is is there a way we can fight to get our eligibility back so whether that's a coming together with your team, with your conference, whatever it is, petitioning against the NCAA, something of that is kind of where my head goes at uh, originally. Transferring, um, that only comes into play, and we talked about it with, with Jake Garcia, that only comes to play if... If, like the SEC is playing and maybe the Pac-12 is not I think maybe you might get some guys that say screw it I'm out of here some of those type of deals I think you could see transferring for guys that are uh, far away from home and are saying hey this whole thing is chaotic uh, why, why am I all the way out on the west coast if we're not even playing football I should go back to I should go back home on the east coast or in Texas or in the south or whatever I could see Potentially, some of those, some guys doing that to be closer to the family, obviously, and whatnot with those type of decisions. Um, and then I think there's also bigger concerns about, uh, like you said, in terms of players getting paid. What, like, what, what are the 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 other factors? I think there's there, there's concerns on my end of. All right, if you don't have a football season and there's no strict schedule with a lot of these players, what happens with guys in terms of going to school and all of that? Do, do you lose out guys in terms of eligibility, that, guys that might suffer in the fall with, with academics and whatnot? I think there's so many compounding residual effects that could uh, that could come about that would not be the best of things. But uh, this whole thing is—it's—it's it's been a nightmare, and I think it would only get worse if the season would schedule, but the, or would get canceled. But that—the biggest question for me would be how is how are the scholarships impacted? How is the eligibility impacted? And that would be the front of mind concern on my end as a player if the uh, if if the season would cancel. And I think guys like Amon Ra and Elijah Vera Tucker, I think at that point you probably turn the page and train for the NFL. That's the short way to put it, but I think that's where they would go.
0: Yeah. Um, Yahoo's Pete Thamel wrote a column to that end saying the players deserve clarity on these matters, specifically eligibility matters. They deserve to know what the picture looks like as these things unfold and happen. And we, and and we talked
1: no- about that on Thursday. I, I think most players just – and I don't mean to, 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 to take a shot at players, but I don't think a lot of guys really understand kind of what a canceled football season means. I think they've probably been awake, awakened to that this, this past week with all the movement. But two months ago, I think when you say, oh, cancel football season, the concept of like literally it's seniors it's probably on their mind but like the juniors and the sophomores the guys that had a nice trajectory the guys that were due to start this year the guys that were trying to better themselves and their family and this is a conversation that's very specific to usc because every guy in that locker room is not only wants to play in the nfl is expecting to play in the nfl and so if you lose out on that opportunity i mean I, i've said this many times in this podcast these guys only get one shot at this so for a guy like a Isaiah Palomao, who was looking to take the next step as an upperclassman safety and loses out on that experience, his career and his overall trajectory could be totally, totally different as a result of not playing this year. Who knows? Maybe SC gets a youngster. Who knows? Maybe in 2021, he's not there. So all those things come into play. And I think that's that's probably one of the biggest differences this week specifically, that it's waking a lot of these players up to the true ramifications of no season this fall.
0: Yeah, I I would assume that if they were to try and play a spring season instead that that would just count as this year's eligibility, but I don't know. I don't don't have those answers either. So uh, I'll also just throw out this thought. Um, I don't personally know what's going to be all that different in the spring from now. We're not trending in any positive direction. Uh, Time does not seem to be a very relevant part of the equation here because we're in no better shape than we were five months ago maybe there's a vaccine maybe we uh, have a dramatic turnaround for the positive in the next four months but i certainly wouldn't assume that just because it's more time means that the equation is different in january so that's just you know the the one thing i would go ahead go ahead finish no 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 please take it i was going to say
1: the one thing that and this is totally hypothetical and this will be fun for, for listeners to kind of explore in their own minds. But the one thing I will say is I, th- I feel like college football in general the past few months has kind of just, and I used this reference earlier, is kind of been staying in the bullpen and saying, hey, uh, the, the the NBA and whether they have success, MLB and whether they have success, it'll kind of force our hand one way or another. And I don't think that really happened as of yet. I feel like college football is almost like, oh, crap, we have to make a decision right now. And I feel like they may not have used the past the past few months To explore other options, and what are those other options? Playing in a bubble, and I think it's absolutely ludicrous. But one thing I've been kind of thumbing around with in my head this earlier this afternoon is, what would a bubble look like for the Pac-12? Is that even possible? Is it even fathomable? And don't get me wrong, it's doubtful. I don't think it could. I think it'd be very, very hard to happen. But how would it happen? And I was throwing out the idea of potentially, like, what happens if you did a bubble in Pullman, Washington? I, I, that's. I'm, I'm from the state of Washington. If you had all the schools and like there's 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 enough uh stadiums you could you could leverage the University of Idaho you could there's one road into Pullman there's one road out of Pullman you could take over the campuses you could do your online classes in there it'd be like a camp i mean when i did camp at usc i did the same route every single day for 3 to 4 weeks web tower to the to the cafeteria to the practice web tower cafeteria practice and so if you just extended that out don't get me wrong it'd be absolutely it'd be so tough i'm not sure the exact finances but if you got to a point where we're sitting here christmas time and there's still no football i would hope that if they canceled football tomorrow that the pac12 would at least consider options like that over the next three months to try to try to make a spring spring scenario happen because ryan to to your point you're right, I don't see a vaccination happening in the next three months. I don't see drastic changes happening, but what could you do with that time frame? You could try to get unique with these formats. You could try to maybe have an opt-in clause for some of these players. You could try to use some of those formats to find and make a way to, to have spring ball happen. And don't get me wrong, as I say that, it's doubtful, it's hard, but that's at least what time does give you is potentially the scenario to get super creative and do ideas that we never would have thought were possible. But if you asked eight months ago about an NBA bubble in Disney World, you would have said that's ludicrous. But it's yeah. happening. And so those are the type of things that potentially could come about.
0: I think you're exactly right. I'm glad you made that point. The The, the reflex reaction against or why a bubble's not viable right now is goes back to the amateurism stuff. And you can't ask these, you know, quote-unquote unpaid student-athletes to – commit to a you know, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week protocol that controls their lives. Uh, but, yep. like you said, we think that these discussions are going to have to happen anyway. And if you start having them now with an eye toward the spring and saying, how do we make this viable? Um, how do we make it fair where guys have full control to uh, these are the terms, if you want to be a part of it. Here's the process. I think you're absolutely right. That That is the one value of delaying, is trying to figure out these answers that maybe should have been worked on up to this point. Maybe they can work on them going forward.
1: Yeah, they 100% but- should have been worked on And my gut, and maybe they have been, and I'm I'm off base, but I just, my my gut tells me that I feel like all the conferences were trying to sit back and say, hey, we're not going to make these groundbreaking decisions if college football happens or if these other sports happen, then we're going to be good to go. If not, we'll cancel. And I I just, I don't know if those uh, conversations have seriously been happening. Maybe they have, but I think these next coming months could allow them to really say we need to find a way to get cleats into the turf and we'll see what happens.
0: Definitely. Well, great stuff, Max. Really enjoyed that. I think we actually did even better on take two than we did on take one. Uh,
1: I hope so. I'm I'm excited for you to piece it together. Hopefully it'll be the best of both worlds for everyone uh, (laughs) everyone listening.
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm definitely going to let everyone hear our discussion about Jake Garcia. Again, I went out to Oceanside, California on Saturday to his final workout back home before he left that night for Valdosta, Georgia, and had a great interview with Jake. I'm going to let you uh, first hear Max and I's discussion about Jake Garcia transferring to Valdosta High School and then hear from Jake himself about that. And I have one more interview that I've held on to and wanted to tackle on at the back end with four star cornerback commit Prophet Brown. I thought he was a really interesting kid. So we'll get all that out today. And again, disclaimer, we don't know what's gonna happen. Nobody knows what's gonna happen. And that was a very in depth hypothetical discussion and we'll see where things stand Tuesday.
1: We shall see. It'll be. A, I'm. I'm refreshing the Twitter feed on the hour every hour for the next 24 hours. I guess I can't do while I'm sleeping. But that. That's. Uh, that's my mindset, and I'm sure we'll be texting tomorrow, and it'll be a different lay of the land. But hoping for football. But I'm a little doubtful. But we shall see.
0: Good stuff, Max. Thanks. Thanks, Ron. Okay, as promised, here was the discussion that Max and I taped a few days ago, reacting to the news of USC four-star quarterback commit Jake Garcia moving to Valdosta, Georgia, for his senior high school season. Before we let you go, I want to get your thoughts on one last thing. USC four-star quarterback commit Jake Garcia announced on Wednesday that he is going to play his senior high school football season. Obviously, that can't happen in California. So Jake is going to Valdosta, Georgia, to play his season. I actually think it's a great move. I think he's a guy that, that could really benefit from getting the full season in, and I just at, th- at that position, I think that's that's the real loss for the guys who are going to enroll early and and forego their senior seasons. I just think there's so much to be gained at that position that year. Max, if you were in Jake Garcia's shoes, you're you're a top prospect coming up, which you can relate to. You know where you're going to college. All of a sudden, you're told um, there's no high school football here. What move would you make? Would it be similar to Jake's? It would
1: be very similar to Jake's. I think it's super smart. I'm right with you. And I think it'd be one thing if you say, if you knew for sure there was going to be a, a season in the spring or in the winter, I guess you could say January, February, March. Then I think 17 year old Max Brown he might uh, he might say, "All right, I won't graduate college. Or I won't graduate high school early, just because I want that senior year experience with my guys." But keep in mind, I went to a public school. I knew my, the guys I played with were my best friends. That was that was straight to home. That was that was my community. That's who I grew up with. I still would have made the same the, the same decision. Guys in California, a lot of transferring around in high school. It's not necessarily the guys you grew up with. High school football is a lot more of a business decision nowadays, uh, especially in the state of California. than... And even me, I know I'm know i only 25 years old, but growing up in Washington, public school, guys I grew up with, that decision, that mindset is different. So if you're Jake, I respect it. He's uh, he's making a business decision. He's saying, I want to go get a full season in a part of the country that's going to be a lot more lenient to some of these health concerns, if that's just kind of the reality of, of what it is. So I love the move. I would have done something very similar. And uh, I mean... I know for me, when I graduate high school early, that's making a business decision at 17 years old for me for the betterment of my future. Jake's just making that five months earlier, and he's saying, "Hey, I'm going to go get a season of reps. I'm going to go get a season of experience, um, and, and try to try to spring uh, spring my football uh, career forward." So I would not be surprised if we see more guys do this. But then again, as I say that, it's August 6th right now. August, yeah, August 7th right now. Um, like. Football training camps are right around the corner. So if you're going to make your move, you've you got to make it like now. So I respect Jake for, for trying to better his uh, his football career. And I think with, with the spring, with the, the later season in the state of California not even being promised, uh, to me this is a no-brainer, and uh, I like the move.
0: So it, I had a talk with, with uh, Rivals analyst Adam Gorney about this when the news came down about California high school football moving to the spring. And he made a great point that – it may not be an advantage for guys to enroll early what if what if usc and college football in general gets shut down and has to finish in the spring or move to the spring then you're not really gaining anything by being there that early or if the whole season gets moved to the spring then you're you're going to be almost forced to redshirt in that case you're not going to come in as an early enrollee and start playing college games two weeks later in the event that the, that the season's been moved to the spring now that's a lot of hypotheticals but I don't I don't know if there's a downside to, to waiting out and playing in the spring but everything's, everything's unknown and your point is if, if he knows he can get a season in right now then I get that it makes sense and go for it now a response on the board has been uh oh does this mean that Jake Garcia is more at risk to flip his commitment uh-huh. now and obviously, the school coming the hardest for him has been Miami, I mean, aside from USC. And if you read his comments on Wednesday, he reiterated his commitment and how this doesn't affect anything and how Clay Helton's uh, all behind it and they've had great talks about it. Fans are worried, though. Uh, Miami's not giving up on Jake Garcia and he's now in the Southeast. Well, my response to that was I don't think it changes much because there's not going to be, let's face it, there's not going to be recruiting visits this fall. It hasn't been announced. The dead period's still through the end of this month, but it's going to be extended. They're not going to have recruiting visits. And so whether he's across the country from Miami or six hours from Miami, he's not going on campus to look at the facilities. And he's already been there. He's already been here. So to me, none of the dynamics change. Whether he does ultimately stick with his commitment here, whether he does flip, I don't think that playing football in Valdosta, Georgia is going to be what 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 swings him either way. So personally, I would not uh, feed into any, any fear scenarios there. I don't think it's a factor. I think he just wants to go play football and get a season in somewhere.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I think it's a factor. I don't think it's a major factor. I agree with you that. I don't think it's going to be the deciding decision on, on, on where he goes to school, but I do think – that if you are a local kid signing with USC, one of the top benefits of that is you are playing close to home. And if he moves away to Georgia and that factor in his brain lessens because, hey, I kind of like Georgia. Hey, I can see myself in the southeast. Hey, I'm not as connected with my hometown for better or for worse or my, my, where I grew up. I, I don't necessarily think that would happen. I don't know Jake on a personal level, but I think if you're a betting man by him going away – Obviously, those thoughts could potentially come in uh, and, and, and help Miami's case. I think if before that, before Jake's decision, if the percentage of him going to Miami was 5%, I think now it's what? I'll give it eight or nine or something. I think it's more. I don't think it's drastically more, but I, I do think it is something to keep your eye on, especially with just so much un, uh, unknown in, uh, in, in the upcoming season. And, and to your early point about uh, Adam Gorney and saying you, you, you might not necessarily gain anything, um, he's right. I, I think there, there, there's something to be said about that. But at the end of the day, if you're Jake Garcia and let's say you get five weeks of high school ball in Georgia and things get canceled or whatever happens to our world, that and then even if the, there was a football season in the spring, if he was still able to be in uniform and be in USC and even if it was a quasi redshirt year or a bonus redshirt year or whatever you want to say about that, being in those locker rooms, being in with those strength coaches, with those meals, being around those guys, being in those meetings, even though it's not real life reps, it's still a value. So I do not net out in the same way as, as Adam's point. I don't think it's kind of a wash. Um, I think there is something to be said if he would have a leg up if he did get a taste of high school football or the full thing of high school football in Georgia and then also was able, even if if he was in shorts and t-shirts the whole spring at USC and just was in meetings all the time in weight rooms and and getting accustomed to that, that scheme and that knowledge, I do think there's something to be said about that being an advantage for Jake. So that's kind of where I net out with that one.
0: And that's why we love your expertise, because those were great <laughs> counterpoints. And it, it'll be fun to follow. Um, I, I touched on this on the board. Valdosta uh, High School is now coached by Rush Probst, who is a famous or infamous name in high school football ranks. Uh, and small world, I actually covered his Hoover High School team in Alabama briefly wow. as an intern at the Birmingham News when that team was featured on MTV's two-a-days reality show, one of the very early reality shows. I uh, love
1: that. That was my favorite show that summer whenever it aired. That was uh, the Alabama quarterback uh, play. John Parker Wilson, wasn't it? I think it, it was. It
0: was his younger brother, Ross Wilson, was the quarterback oh. at the time. Yeah. John Parker had already come through the program. And uh, Jeremy Pruitt was the defensive coordinator on that Hoover team. He's now. The I Tennessee, didn't know that. Tennessee That's crazy. Yeah. So that are to go
1: back and rewatch that.
0: That was wild and um, interesting. Things tend to follow Rush Probes wherever he goes. So, uh, Jake Garcia might be living his own reality show down there in Valdosta this fall. But we will certainly keep tabs on that, and we will get Max back on here soon for more football talk. Really enjoyed that. Good to have you back on, Max.
1: Great, to, great to be back on. Stay safe and stay healthy, everyone.
0: And with that, I will segue into my conversation with Jake Garcia on Saturday, just before he left for Georgia, and let you hear that interview that I posted to the site on Sunday, let you hear it on here as well. All right, we're here with USC four-star QB commit Jake Garcia. The story of the week made headline national headlines <laughs> of going to Valdosta, Georgia, for a senior year of high school. I think we all understand what, why you're going to, to get a season in, but uh, how did Georgia end up being the destination of all the places? I know a lot of states have already shut down. There's not a ton of options, but Georgia a long ways away.
2: Right, right. Um, I have family in Atlanta, uh, so they had recommended the school to me before. Um, everybody knows about Valdosta High School um, and their winning record. Um, you have Coach Rush over there, who's a who's a winner. You want to surround yourself with winners. So um, uh, when everybody has that like mindset, it's it's dangerous. Um, and, and I think it's the best program for me um, to be able to prepare myself for for college. Um, I mean, I've just heard great reviews about it, so I'm ready to get it,
0: ready to get started. What was the process from when California high school sports were postponed to finding your destination? How many places did you look? How many calls did you have?
2: Uh, I mean, I was looking at Arizona, somewhere in Arizona. I was looking, I was looking all over the place. I just needed to play ball. Um, but I mean, it, it happened fairly quick, um, so it's pretty. It's a hectic time for me and my family. But, I mean, we're all looking forward to it, and my family's sacrificing a lot. Um, so I'm very, very thankful and blessed for that opportunity. Um, and I can't thank them enough. I can't thank the people around me enough. Um, you have Coach Danny, you have the all the kids that are out here working hard, um, and we push each other, and, and they, I know they all have my back.
0: I wanted to ask about the family aspect. Is your family going with you? Or are they staying here? How does it all work?
2: My dad is going with me. Yes, sir. So we'll be out there. We're living the night. So... Um, I'm excited, I'm really excited and it's a slower pace of living Um, and you just really get to focus on football so I mean come back,
0: come back big you know. That's a really cool uh, move by him to make that sacrifice to uproot himself to make this happen for you. Uh, What were your conversations with him like?
2: Uh, are you ready, are you ready? and I mean he wants me to play big time ball, he wants me to play ball in general, but big time ball um, at Valdosta High School, so I mean I'm looking forward to it, he's looking forward to it and, and the rest of the family is too, so I mean um, I can't, I, again I can't thank him enough and. and it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: So you leave tonight. Yes, sir. It's early August 9th. Uh, I don't know when their season starts, but how nervous are you about getting up to speed with a new high school in time to maximize your the talent?
2: Uh, like I said, with the slower pace of living, it's all ball. So, I mean, I'm not concerned about it at all. Um, I feel like I'll catch up fairly quick um, and, and be able to just focus on football um, and really just zone in and, and
0: What's the biggest thing you want to show personally as a player this year? Um, I want to show mentally that I've,
2: uh, I've had a lot of mental you good? Mentally, um, that I've, I've grown a lot this offseason. Um, being able to process information quicker, um, be able to cancel out certain certain options, certain routes um, uh, before this ball is snapped, and, and really just being in control. Um, I feel like I'm. I'm in control already, but, I mean, just a, as as a college level in control, I want to be able to go into college and be able to uh, step on that field as a freshman and be able to go to work. Um, so, I mean, that's that's my big thing for this year. How often you talk the Graham Harrell? What those conversations kind of consistent these days? Right. Um, I mean, like I said, the whole staff uh, supports my decision, and I uh, know they're super excited. Um, me and Graham Harrell talk, talk fairly often. Um, uh, me and Coach to talk fairly often. And, I mean, they're super excited to see what goes on this season. And I know they're rooting for me, and I know they have my back. So I'm, I'm really, really excited um, to be over there until January. So the state championship game is December 30th. Um, so, knock on some wood, Right, right but right. Um, uh, we'll be there till December 30th. And, and come back to SC on January 10th.
0: Um, so the, does Graham give you things to focus on and work on? Is, is there feedback in that regard, or is it more just social conversations that you all have at this point?
2: Uh, we're still been in, like, from a, like a relationship relationship standpoint, um, just talking as, as two people talking regularly. Um, uh, but also, I've like incorporated my footwork. So I haven't had a uh, season yet where I've been uh, using their footwork. So I was left foot staggered before. So my left foot was back and my right foot was forward. Now I'm switching it up so I can go t- into their offense ready with footwork. Um, and I mean, I'm going to apply that to my game this year. Um, and I think it'll make a big difference.
0: So you know how fans are. Mm-hmm. They, they get nervous. They jump to conclusions. Everyone knows that Miami's still coming after you. Um, do you want to kind of set the record straight for where things stand with USC, with Miami, and how this move either relates or doesn't relate to I mean.
2: right, right? I'm committed. I'm in. Um, I'm super excited for for Coach Helton and Coach Harrell to get me uh, prepared for the next level. Uh, I'm excited to be in that quarterback-friendly offense, and and I mean, you step in and it's it's 100 miles an hour. You're going straight ahead. Um, so I'm super excited, and I'm. My family is super excited. I have rugs in my house, uh, SC rugs in my house. We still have SC stickers in my house. I mean, I'm, I'm in. I'm in.
0: And when you get there, the depth chart's going to be pretty wide open. Keaton will probably be the only scholarship quarterback on the roster. You and Miller coming in. How do you see that opportunity that awaits you? Uh, i say
2: say as a great opportunity. Um, whether or not I, I get to play as a freshman, um, I think it's a great opportunity to be able to be uh, around Keaton. Keaton has established himself this past year. and. And uh, I know he's on the same page as, as Coach Harrell, and and that's like a it's like another coach on the field, right? So um, being able to be around that, and and I think I think that'll really help me grow as a person and as a player. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it.
0: That's gonna be a fun competition as soon as you guys get there. Mm-hmm. That kind of sets the tone for the successor to right. Keaton. So um, that's all the more reason to enroll early, I guess, for you. Right. 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 Yes, sir. Um, Where. Where is the Miami recruitment? Are they still after you as aggressively as they have been? or? Um, they've still talked to me,
2: um, but I mean, they understand where I'm at with everything. And, and they understand, I mean, you have you have Miami fans, like, like you can't avoid it, but me going down to Valdosta, they have they, started getting all hyped up again. Um, but I mean, I plan on I'm, I'm coming back on January 10th, so um, that's when I'm enrolling. I think that's moving day, um, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I mean, I'll be back home, back in LA, back with Coach Danny, um, and, and get rolling as soon as I get on campus.
0: Good stuff. Well, just lastly, I haven't talked to you. In a few months, really, since Miller Moss joined the class, mm-hmm. we all knew there was going to be two quarterbacks the whole time. As I mentioned right. the depth chart; there had to be two quarterbacks. But everyone is kind of wanted your reaction to that. How did you take another four-star guy, another local guy, coming in with you in that class? Uh, we got a welcome competition, so um, that only makes you stronger as a person, it makes
2: you stronger as a player, um, and and it teaches you just just a lot about. Uh, life in general so I mean you go into a, a business you, you try to get a job uh, and and you have to compete for the job so um, I, I apply that to life and I think we'll push each other to, to, to grow into better people better quarterbacks um, and better teammates um, so I, I mean I look forward to it um, and I'm, I'm super excited great
0: stuff Jay thank you yes sir thank you and then lastly I've, I've held on to this interview with Prophet Brown USC's four-star cornerback commit for a week, and I really wanted to let you guys hear it directly because I thought he was so good in the interview. I thought he conveyed himself really well, and I was just an interesting interesting interviewee, and I wanted you guys to hear that interview straight from him. I obviously wrote about it last week, but here is the raw, unfiltered conversation that I have with prophet Brown what's the feeling been like since your commitment a couple of weeks ago? honestly it's been uh all great a lot of
3: pressure relieved you know it's been it's been a good feeling to be a part of something and know uh about your future and where you're headed so it's definitely a great feeling to be committed so yeah these past few weeks have been great
0: yeah for sure how how did you know that the time was right because it really seemed like usc came out of nowhere i mean maybe not to you but like to to those of us who who were following the the
3: No, yeah no yeah, it definitely came out of nowhere. Even to me, to my family, everybody—it was definitely a decision that I had prayed on and just thought that right now was the best time to do it. No, no need to wait. And so, coming up with the decision, it was—it was pretty like it was like within a week span of me knowing that I'm certainly going here. They'd always been on my mind. They'd been in the top six, and like even though the hype wasn't always around them, they'd definitely been in the school on my mind constantly. So. When I felt like it was time to pull the trigger, I did, and I'm happy I did.
0: Yeah, well, well take me inside that week. What, what kind of materialized in that time to swing it the way it did?
3: Well, we had a Zoom meeting, actually, I'll say two days before I made the decision. And we had talked. He asked me, Coach Dante had asked me what I was looking in to school. And literally, uh, USC cleared every single checkbox. And it's in an area I'm familiar with. So I definitely felt comfortable with my decision and wholehearted about it, and that I know it's the right one for me and my family. So
0: it's it's really impressive what Dante's done with this defensive back class. I, I kind of want to get into that, but uh, just going back to your recruitment, still, what made him such an effective recruiter with you through the process?
3: Honestly, just reaching out, keeping it real with me all the time. That's that's always great to have a guy like. Like that in your corner, who's gonna keep it straight up with you and real down to earth, dude. And that's just great coming from a recruiter.
0: How much do you think about just the overall DB class you guys have coming in?
3: Honestly, honestly, it's it's crazy. We're in like a little group chat right now, and like I'm just looking at these guys' tapes and looking at their their highlights and stuff, and I'm like, wow, this this class is shaping up to be real, real special, especially in the secondary. And for me to be a part of that, it's, it's, it's going to be great.
0: How much did you know all those guys before, or how much have you gotten to know them since your commitment?
3: I mean, I, I didn't know much about them, but we've been like reaching out to each other a lot more recently, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which is pretty cool. So yeah, we, we're we going to continue to reach out. I'm pretty sure as time goes by and it gets closer and closer.
0: So, so after that Zoom call with Dante, I'm sure you talk with your family what's what's kind of the aftermath of that call how do you all process it and get to the final decision
3: i mean honestly we got off that call and it was funny because i was talking with my mom and my mom she was just as excited as me she was like coach do had me ready to sign and so if mom's happy that's really that was really a, a big point in my in my decision that my mom has to be happy with my decision and Know that I'm gonna be in good hands. So um, she felt good, I felt good, and the rest is history.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. What was there? One thing that surprised you in that presentation that maybe you hadn't thought about before?
3: Uh, honestly, I had not known about like the roster outlook as far as my position in like the 2020 class and how there wasn't really any DBs. Right. So that was very like interesting to me because if there's nobody like ahead of you, that's time for you to play once like the seniors or whatever leave. That's time for you to play. and That's one of my big things, getting on the field. Because if you can't get on the field, you can't put no tape out there. The end goes definitely to get to the NFL. So making that decision was a big part of it.
0: Yeah. When's the last time you've been on campus at USC?
3: Well, I haven't been down there probably since like last year. I haven't been on like a visit visit or anything. But uh, yeah, like last year, I I was down there that area on campus.
0: Okay. So what's kind of your plan for the rest of your recruitment? Are you still hoping to take several visits if it's possible? Or how are you kind of approaching the rest of the way? Uh, well,
3: I haven't really cared much about it. I want to say, like, not cared, but, like, thought much about it. It's like, if I can, I guess I would. But it's not, like, one of the big things that I'm concerned about. Like, oh, I still want to go see these places. Because when I make a decision, I know it's my decision. So really I'm just trying to get to the U.S.C.
0: Are are you enrolling early?
3: Uh no, I wasn't. We actually got a big season ahead of us for this senior class and it's going to be some special so I can't miss it. Awesome. Definitely. Well, well just well,
0: last topic with you, you know, obviously earlier in the process a lot of schools wanted you as a running back and you made the decision that you wanted to be recruited as a cornerback. How did you get to that point and I talked to Coach Ewing about that a little bit so I kind of have some background on it, but I want to hear from you. How did you kind of reach that path? Well,
3: honestly, I, the whole time, I feel like that was the position for me, corner, like, coming in. i had been, a, a, it's going on my third year starting varsity corner. I started as a freshman, I mean a sophomore at corner. And so it's definitely a position I feel comfortable with. And it's a high-demand position, which is, like, really great to go to the league and stuff. And I definitely feel like I'm one of the top corners, like, in the nation. Even though, like, I say my film is not super – prioritize towards corner, I have clips in there. And a lot of that's from targets because our league, we play in, i say like five games, like one throw in like four games and then two and one. So it's like, it's it's not really a lot of opportunities, but I feel like that's a position that I excel in and feel most comfortable at. So going on to the next level, I know I could be used on special teams because I say I'm pretty special with the ball in my hand, so I know that could be a possibility. But I just didn't see myself as a complete running back with all the responsibility. Like, you could put me in our offense, and I would definitely make some plays on offense if you knew me, but I can't say that as my main role position all the time. And I just love the defensive side of the ball, to swagger about it. It's all great.
0: It's a great perspective you have and kind of great self-awareness and, and kind of looking down the road and considering the big picture. So give me the self-evaluation of you as a cornerback. What do you think is your biggest asset or strength right now, and what's the area that you know you still want to get better at? I
3: mean, I say, in high school, we run a lot of men. So, I'm, I'm a, I am say I'm a pretty good man-to-man cornerback press coverage. And I could guard up with the best of them, because that's what they use me as. A lot, like, postseason and big games, I was lined up against the best of the best, like, every game, lining up, following receivers. And I, I love that. I love the challenge. I'm competitive. And so, I'm always going to fight with the big dogs. And then, one thing I look forward to in the uh, at college, what, I, what they really come with is my technique and stuff and just working on, like super fundamentals of the of the position because in high school you spend a lot of time a lot of time on offense working about your offensive skills because it's high school football and the oc needs to be running and scoring so you spend most of the practice on offense but getting into college and actually focusing in on one position is going to be great and i feel like it's really going to excel me
0: awesome thanks so much for your time i really appreciate it right, Yep. Yeah, And that's our podcast. Again, we put this together quickly on the fly today, reacting to the news in real time, and I'm sure that everything could and probably will change tomorrow. But I think a lot of the themes we discussed, Max and I, will have relevance no matter which way this goes as just a lot of broad implications for the future of college football at stake, not only this uh, 2020 season, but really where the sport goes from here. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation and max's perspective i know i did Uh, i'm sure we'll have more to react to soon we will come back when the time is right for another long discussion about whatever's going on with college football and usc football and the pac-12 and where things stand thanks as always for listening and we'll see you next time